This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in again on this Wednesday. We've got an incredible show for you today and i i mean that i'm not just saying that now you know we're we're known for having some amazing guitar players on this program but at the same time equally we have had some amazing builders as well i mean we've had andy foosh we've had robbie hall from custom tones and ethos pedals i mean we really have had some some great people that uh, are the are the people behind the gear that we all choose to love and use, and uh, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm talking to the guitar player, that's what I want to hear. Sometimes is is why are you using this? How are you using this? Why is this better than you know than this over here? And uh, so today, you know, we've got a guy, uh, Phil Bradbury. He is the owner and the creator of the Little Walter Tube Amps. Now, I've been watching these for some time, like I'm sure some of you have been. We know that you know some of the best players in the world are using his amps. Brent Mason, Vince Gill, um, Robin Ford. <laughs> I don't think I have to say anymore. Uh, you know, they're they're well sought after. In that, and I'm intrigued by them. I really am. They sound amazing. Um, they're put together incredibly well, and it, it was an absolute honor to sit down with Phil because you can't meet a better, uh, better person. I mean, he is just a stand-up guy that I am. You know, I'm really proud. You know, to say he's my friend today. You know, because he's just that kind of person. <clears throat> so. Uh, Phil is going to be joining us in just a minute. In the meantime, I need to let you know that this program is brought to you by Charlie and John's uh, handmade and handwound strings right here in the USA. Vibrant sounds. I tell you what, long lasting, just simply a great string. CharlieandJohns.com. They're also available on Amazon. We're also brought to you by GuitarsForVets.org, an organization that I believe wholeheartedly in that helps veterans with PTSD through the gift of music and the guitar. That's right. This is an opportunity to help a veteran in some fashion, however that looks to you. Just go to GuitarsForVets.org. I'm proud to be an ambassador alongside other great players like Tommy Emanuel and Sully Erna and... Ian uh, Scott and so many others in that. So go there and figure out how you can be a benefit and a blessing to a uh, a veteran in need today at guitarsforvets.org. 
Now, let's get back to these tube amps. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time talking about them, but I, I because I'm gonna let Phil do that. But I just want to say this: I was at uh, Grung Guitars in Nashville this past week, and there was a pair of Little Walters there, 18 waters, and uh, with 112, you know, cabinet. And I got to tell you, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, man, it is a well sounding and well put together, you know, piece of machine. And uh, wow. I can't wait till I have mine, you know. I can't wait to, to start using them. So rather than talk any more about it, hell, let's just get right into it. Um, this is Phil Bradbury. He is the owner and the creator and the genius behind the Little Walter tube amps right here on Guitar Talk. <laughs> well, good. You learned something new. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yes, sir. How are you been? I'm good, man. I am really good. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, it's my, believe me, I've been watching your, uh, well, listening, I've been listening to your podcast while I've been working. Uh, I didn't get to do as much as I wanted to. I had to fly, uh, drive to the local airport, pick up two guys that flew in from Northern Virginia yesterday to try out a bunch of amps. And yeah. then I spent four hours with them in the music room, then driving back to the airport. You know, that was my day yesterday. But uh, <laughs> Well, very good. Very good. You know, I, uh, I'm really impressed, you know, with your amp. Uh, but b before we get into it, I'd really like to know, you know, how what made you what made you do this? What made well, you, you know, build an amp? Um, I started playing music when I was 14 uh, yeah. in Eastern Kentucky, and uh, it basically saved my life, I guess, because drugs was such a big thing in in the little towns I grew up in. You either drank or did drugs. There's nothing going on. It was the middle of nowhere in cold country. And music uh, took such a hold on me that I literally devoted myself to it and bypassed all the other, you know, stuff. And when all the football – at, at our high school, there were jocks, shop boys, and hippies. <laughs> and a hippie was anybody that had hair over their collar and you couldn't put them in those other two categories. You know? So uh, I, I became a musician. And so we go to the football game on Friday night and watch the local guys beat themselves into submission. And I'd usually sit with one of their girlfriends in the stand. And then we'd go over to the, uh, uh, to a place we had dances and then my band would play the dance after the game. So, uh, uh, but anyway, what, what, uh, I've always been into music and I paid my way through college. I went to uh, Eastern Kentucky University and I lived in Lexington and I put a band together just like a business. And so for four years, we made our payments on our huge PA system and we we had a booking agent and we worked ourselves to death six days a week and I paid my way to college. And uh, then uh, because that I'm not a gifted musician, I, I am a decent musician, but I realized at that point I wasn't gifted enough to uh, go down the route of starvation to make it. Uh, and so <clears throat> I, I knew I'd always play music, but I went off and, and went into the business world and um, started a family and, and became very successful in several different businesses. Uh, but... Uh, after being in the software business from software that I created and owned copyrights on in asset management software that took me all over the world, 
Uh, I work for the World Bank. I've, I've done everything. But yeah. at in my mid-50s, uh, the software business was kind of snaked from us. The larger companies, you know, ripped us off and, and basically crippled us. And so um, I decided at that point, I'm going to do something I want to do. And not to sound corny, but it was kind of a religious calling. Um, as silly as this might sound, I actually felt like most of the amps that we were buying on eBay, we didn't have reverb at that time, uh, uh, but on eBay and at our music stores, um, they, I didn't know it, but they, they weren't there. And I mean, there just wasn't much to them. And so what I did was I, I taught myself pro tools about 18 years ago. I bought the, the pro tool system and the interface and got into it and me with a broadcasting degree, I used to do jingle packages. It, it was very natural. So, uh, I did my own album and it was kind of a bucket list thing. It was eight of my own songs. I played every instrument, wrote all the songs, produced it myself. And when I listened back to these songs 50 and 60 times to mix something, I started noticing the amplifier sounded like a, a, a cardboard box with a cheap speaker in it. And I, I had a benefit in college of being rather poor. Uh, I, I, I had to pay my own way. I had to pay my own apartment. I didn't have anybody supporting me that way. And so um, when all my buddies had Marshalls and the big two cabinet PVs and sound cities and, and all these really cool amps, I was the guy that had to go through the attic of, of Carl's music in Lexington and find uh, what no one else wanted. And I came across a, a late forties. I think it was a Fender dual professional and it had octal preamp tubes in it, eight pin preamp tubes, which would play a real role in my life 50 years down the road, which I didn't know that, <laughs> but I just knew this old beat up horrible amp that everyone made fun of sounded better than everyone else. And uh, so uh, zoom ahead to about age 55 or whatever it was when I got into this business. Um, I never lost sight of what that sounded like. And at one point I owned a 1957 Harvard that also had octal uh, tubes in it. And so when this calling hit me, something said someone needs to build something that was reminiscent of what we grew up, what we had and what the rich guys will pay untold amounts of money for. And they're all burnt up and they're ruined and they make noise. And every time they turn them on, they hope it turns on because it's 50 some years old and beat all the pieces. Uh, I decided why not go back and see if I can recreate that magic with modern contemporary uh, parts and, and tools. So I studied for about eight or nine months. And, and you have to know this about me. I am a builder. Uh, when I raced sports cars for 14 years, I built my own engines. I designed my frames. I built my brake systems. Uh, I used to build custom choppers. That's kind of what I'm known for more than anything uh, by my old friends is building custom old custom Harleys and, uh, but I'm a builder, I create. And so I got into it. And as I read these eight or 10 books, probably a foot and a half tall, um, and I made a page of notes in a yellow pad, filled the whole pad full of things that I thought were noteworthy from the early days. Then I took these 
and I took the best points of them and I designed a 6V6 chassis and a 6L6 chassis. And I used all the neat tricks that they had in the old days. Uh, uh, no tag boards, no turret boards, no circuit boards. Uh, I used octal preamps instead of the the, the little nine pin high powered high gain tubes <clears throat> and created a 15 watt and a 30 watt amp to start with. And they were amazing. To me, they were amazing, but you know, anyone who builds an amp themselves is going to sound amazing. So my wife said, why don't you go to the New York amp show? I said, I've never heard of it. She said, I found it online. Why don't you go? Uh, uh, and so I went, uh, and I took these two amps. I had two of each of them and I took them and a gentleman walked in the door from guitar player who was a, a writer for guitar player, a columnist, fell in love with the 15 watt, the six V six amp. And, uh, while he was there, premier guitar walked in with their film crew and said, Hey, and they knew this guy. And they said, would you do a demo for us? And can we interview you? And I was like, ah yeah. yes you can <laughs> and uh so that went so well and i started getting some attention and i went to nashville to a um to an amp show uh not long after that and a guy from sony walked in the door and said uh this is amazing what, what is this i said well it's the simplest circuit you can make it only has volume and tone i just kind of went back and followed you know, Leo Fender, what he was doing. And, and it sounds so much better than what you'll buy over the counter. And he said, do you know Reggie Young? And I went, Oh God, no, but I'd kill to. And he said, well, he owes me a favor. Where will you be tomorrow at this time? I said, I'll be at my friend's little home studio. And he said, well, um, I, I'm going to arrange for Reggie to come by and I want him to play this. He owes me a favor and I'm going to ask him to come and play this amp. And it was the six L six. So the next morning, Reggie Young knocks on the door promptly at 10 o'clock. And I, I, was, I couldn't hardly communicate with him. He's been such a hero of mine for so long. And, and I was like, I'm so glad to meet you. And, and he stepped in and he was the most gracious gentleman I've ever met. And he said, let me get one thing straight before we go any farther. I'm not in the market to buy an amplifier. I, I will never play anything but my Blackface Deluxe that I'm I've always played since I discovered it. And I said, well, I, I don't sell amplifiers. But I said, it's such an honor to have a guy like you play one of mine and then be honest with me and tell me what you think. I said, that's all I want. And he said, well, cool then. Let's go try it. So he pulls out this black Telecaster that he used on uh, Son of a Preacher Man, among other <laughs> many other great notable. Uh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, he sits down and he turns around and he says, does this amp just have two knobs? And I went, yes, sir. That has volume and tone. Wow. Said so the last guy brought me an amp to try. I had 22 knobs and a manual that was an inch thick. And I said, well, if I wrote a manual on that, it'd probably be five pages, maybe. And he said, I love this. And so he sits down, he turns his back to us and he leans down and gets in front of the 212 with the, the amp on it and didn't look up for about 20 minutes. And my friend and I were just in awe, and I, I didn't think to turn a recorder on or a phone uh, and capture anything. I was just standing there dumbfounded. And he turned around and, and stayed for two more hours talking. And I went home the next day, it's a nine hour drive and I was halfway home. 
somewhere around Asheville, and the phone rang. And I said, hello. And he says, uh, Phil, this is Reggie Young. Remember me? <laughs> uh, yeah. And he said, I can't, I couldn't sleep last night. I, and I have to have what I played. How much for what I played yesterday? And I said, I don't know. I've never sold one. And he said, well, how much you want? And I thought, I knew I had about, oh, maybe $1,500, $1,800 in the parts. And I thought, uh, well, for you, $1,500. He says, I'll take it. Said, read me your address. And so he mailed me a check and said, that my address is on there. My phone number said, when you get it built, you just call me and come on down to Nashville and I'll have you out the house and we'll, and we'll try it out. <laughs> that's it. So wow. I, I know it's a long story, but that's kind of what started it. And, uh, you know, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. Now, now I got to ask well, you, you talked about going to school. Now, did you get an engineering degree by chance? No, I have a broadcasting mass communication degree. I was okay. going to be a TV director or, a, 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 a you know, and, but real, what, I, what my real love was, was recording. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, my senior project was a jingle package and yeah. I sold it to a local, uh, well, to a out in the woods, Kentucky backwoods radio station. And oh, I bet twenty years later I was passing through there and heard one of my jingles. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my dream, and because of political uh, uh, things and EEOC, uh, they were only hiring minorities when I graduated college in '75. So uh, I did not have any kind of an opportunity to go into the industry that I, you know, studied for four years. And I'm a third generation coal miner. I'm very proud to say that my my father and grandfather came over from England, and uh, my grandfather wrote some of the the safety measures for mine rescue that is still taught today. And my dad was credited with running the safest uh, coal mine in the United States. Wow! Uh, so I just went back and thought, well. Here's a temporary stopgap. Maybe I can raise enough money to buy a studio, build a studio, you know. And I, but while yeah. there, I got married, and moved up the, the ladder, and realized uh, there was a need for a software to track mining equipment, and devoted the next thirty years of my life to developing software, and that's what uh, Bradbury and Associates Company turned out to be. And I ended up working with Caterpillar and Cummins and ended up a consultant for the World Bank and uh, went a different direction totally. Yeah. Uh, but but always, always, always had a little studio at home and, and never got away from the music, but uh, just didn't make a living at it. Right. I, you, you know, the reason I ask that is because I come across so many people that build either amplifiers or pedals or, or something along that line that have engineering backgrounds. Like, for instance, there's a guy, I don't know if you ever heard of Custom Tones, Inc. The guy builds a pedal called the Ethos, which is, uh, it's modeled after the Dumbo pedals. Anyway, okay. anyway, he's a NASA engineer. And, oh, yeah. You know, and it's not his thing. I mean, that's not what he does, but he loves doing it, you know. And so I've come across so many. That's why I asked if you had an engineering well, background. Well, certainly. And actually, my senior year in college, I needed an elective. And so I used to build uh, little uh, headphone amps in, in 
while I was in college to make a little extra money. I built these little, use Radio Shack parts, and I built uh, headphone amps for people in the dorms because they couldn't practice. So I decided why not take an electronics course as an elective. I just needed three hours to fill up my, my schedule. And it, it was interesting to think back now. They were moving to transistors. This was in 1974. They were moving to transistors in the college there. They had an electronics department. and But they still had a little bit of the tube technology. So on my final exam, you had to make a class A amp, a class AB amp, and there, one other that I can't remember. And uh, you could use transistors or you could use tubes. And I used tubes uh, on my final. Uh, I didn't do very well. I probably got a somewhere between a C and a D, I guess. But, but the, the point is they were phasing out tubes at that time. And I was told a year or two later there weren't any tubes in that course utilized any longer so I, I i just barely but i didn't really get any tube education but i did kind of understand uh yeah. you know how they worked and so i basically well let me give it to you this way one day standing with my best buddy vince gill he put his arm around me and there's several people asking me questions about how i got into this and why my amps sound like they do and vince says you know the best thing ever happened to him he didn't get a formal education in electronics <laughs> <laughs> somebody said what's that mean he says he doesn't know what won't work so he'll try anything <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's really really good you know it, it well it, and it's and it's a, a tribute to you you know to have such players uh using you know your amplifiers today and that so so let's take the reggie story just a little bit further sure. i mean Okay, so so Reggie buys an amp from you, you know, and he's a prominent player. Everybody knows who he is. So yeah. was it just word of mouth after that? Did he just start telling people that, hey, check this out? Or, and that's yeah, how it blew, uh, blew up to what you got now? Yeah, and that kind of dovetails with, uh, I went to pick these guys up yesterday at the airport that flew down for Northern Virginia to try some amps out. And on the way, that naturally asked, you know, uh, how did you build your name to what it is now? And I said, um, for eight years, uh, I drove nine hours to Nashville, nine hours back, once a week. Uh, every four week, every four weeks, one of those weeks, I went to Nashville for at least a long weekend, sometimes a whole week. And I didn't have the money to do it. I loaded up credit cards for years to do that, and I, I just hung out where I could try to meet somebody or uh, a friend of mine worked for Keith Urban and, and he'd take over the amp that Vince Gill was using and leave it in the studio for three days while I'd hang around a motel, a cheap motel waiting on a phone call only to find out the end of three days. Well, <laughs> uh, Keith didn't have time to play it and I'd load up and come home, you know, but, oh, wow. but Reggie went to, to, if I remember correctly, Reggie went over to Vince Gill's to do he was still it was at the very end of his uh he was still gigging or not gigging but he was still doing recording work yeah. and <clears throat> i think vince asked him what is that and he said that's a little walter and he said plug in and try it and then shortly after that i received a phone call from vince and i didn't believe it was vince obviously uh it it, it, it was such a shock uh and then i i met him and and he had to have one and i built him one and then uh, 
at a show in Nashville, a producer walked up and said, I know who you are. I heard one of your amps the other day. Do you know Brent Mason? And I said, oh, God, no, but I'd love to. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm recording uh, Brent at uh, uh, the church. Well, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it now. The, the big church converted studio there in Nashville. Ocean Way, I think it's called. And yeah. um, he said, I'll be with Brent tomorrow. Would you... Would you trust me to take an amp and a cabinet home with me after the show today? And I said, of course. So I loaded him up. And next thing I know, uh, Brent calls. And Brent said, uh, man, I love your amp. Uh, and, and I had created a 212 cabinet that I was very proud of. It's my own design. And I wanted, at this point, rather than making money, I just wanted to hear feedback. I, wa I wanted guys like Brent Mason to tell me I don't like it or I do like it or you need to do this, you know. So I, uh, when he called me, he said, how much for this head I've got? And I said, well, uh, how did you like, how did you, how'd you like the speaker cabinet and, and the two, the two different speakers I had? And he says, well, I didn't play the cabinet. I'm, I'm more of a closed back guy and that's an open back. And I said, well, I tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a super, super, super family deal on the head. If you'll just play the cabinet for me and tell me what you think about it, then I'll sell you the head. So a day later, he calls me up. And he says, Phil, how much for the head of the cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's how I met Brent. And I love him and his wife. And, and it, little Walter's kind of a family we don't have enough money to buy a magazine ad or to, or to advertise. It's just my wife and I, I have no employees. I hand build everything. And, yeah. and, but we, we have, we kind of create this family and you may know about our show. Once a year, we have a show in Nashville and it's all voluntary. I pay the house band. It's usually uh, Vince Gill or Robin Ford's backing band. I pay real good people to come and play. And, but then we invite about 40 or 45 uh, players and a few of them are known, but the majority of them are from as far away as Germany, and they're great players, but no one's ever heard of. And so I take this guy that I know how he plays, and then I take a guy from Berkeley, a jazz instructor, and I put this guy from Germany together with the guy at Berkeley, and they've never met each other. But I happen to know in my heart, I feel like Bill, uh, Bill Graham sometimes, I, I know that these guys will be amazing. So they they I introduced them long distance they swap each one gets one song and the other one backs the other one and the other one backs the other one. so these these two guys will be introduced and they get to do two numbers and the backing band will back them up with whatever they need so that's what we do and I put I uh, put four guys together from four different states one of them's from Canada and they've become a uh, uh, can-am country every year they play and 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 they've become best buddies and some of them are recording together but I take the greatest pride in putting people together that don't know each other, but I know, I know them and I know they'll be great. And she comes out of this. And then the day before we, the, the show, we meet at, at uh, SIR in Nashville and it ha we have a part. Uh, we'll, we might even run off a little bit of moonshine and bring it, but, but my wife only lets them have a jigger until they've done their part. Once they've done their <laughs> rehearsal, they can have all they want. But, uh, we do care packages with t-shirts and hats and, and sometimes uh, uh, vendors will put stuff in the care bags. And so everybody who comes, they don't get paid. They have to pay their own way in their own motels, but uh, we have this party and everybody is allowed to do their songs one time only. 
I learned that from uh, Harry Connick's musical director. Uh, and they they wanted to do it a second time as soon as they're done because they thought it's something they do. And I said, no, nope, nope, it's all time we got. I said, think about it tonight. You'll be so good tomorrow. And they are amazing the next night. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's – uh, but yeah. it's this family we've created. We're trying to be a small music store for the world. Uh, if somebody calls me up and says, I got a problem. My pedals don't sound right. And I said, what's well, probably your pedal board. I said, let, let me reach out to one of our pedal experts and I'll call one of my buddies. And he'll say, yeah, I got time. Tell him to call me. And then the guy will call me back or email me. He said, man, your guy got me straightened out. And I'm doing really good now. So, you know, it's just, we're, we just want to bring back the feel of the, we lost the music store feel yeah. that I grew up with. I don't know how old you are, but in the sixties, I could, if I had a day and I could get it to the music store and there wasn't anybody in there, I could play a Gibson Les Paul that I knew I wouldn't be able to afford for 20 years. And I could plug into a brand new super reverb if I wanted to. And I'd, I'd probably learn two or three chords from the guy that ran the store. If there wasn't anybody in that day, you know? Yeah. And so, so, I hate that we lost that and it's, it's yin and yang in order for us to grow. We need big stores and stuff, but it's killed the little store. So we're trying, my wife and I are trying to keep the little store feel. Uh, and we sell all over the world, you know, I've just finished a 59 and a King Arthur that Robin Ford plays for Japan. He's yeah. so popular over there. If they see him play anything, they want it. So I've just built my first hundred volt, uh, uh, of those going to Japan. Yeah. The, the, well, I'm going to be honest with you. The first time that I saw and heard your amps and, you know, and I'm around gear a lot with what I do, oh. but the first oh, yeah. time, first time that I saw it was with Vince Gill with the Eagles. Okay. You know, I, I was, I was fairly close to the stage. I wasn't far from Vince Gill and I was looking at that amp and I was like, what the heck is that? You know, and then later on, of course, I found out and, uh, you know, uh, it sounded amazing. And then when I, when I, I know Robin, when I heard Robin yeah. play his and that, and it's like, well, if Robin Ford's got one, come on now, you, you gotta, you gotta check them out. And well, so, let, let me, let me clarify something. Uh, Vince plays my series eight. When I first yeah. started, I, pl I only built octal preamp tube chassis. Uh, we, we built a 22 watt, uh, a, uh, uh, about a 47 watt, uh, we built a 44, uh, we built the 80 and we built the Andy Reese jazz 50 or 60 for, uh, uh, you know, like Tal Farlow, Barney Kessel types. Those all were the series eight. That's like what Vince plays. Yeah. Then later I, I branched out into the nine pin world and and learned about 12 AX7s and ATs and AYs, which higher gain, of course, 100 uh, gain as opposed to my octal preamp tubes with a 40 to one right. gain. So Vince still plays the the Series 8 on his side. And now on the other side of the Eagle stage, uh, I've picked up um, uh, their lead guitar player uh, that is now playing the uh, uh, 59, which is a, a Series nine that's uh, Stuart, of course and he's playing my series nine amps and that's what robin plays so yeah. it's like certain people walk in the in the room here and they're drawn to the old octal uh, with very little just a volume and a, and a couple tone controls but then 
other people, they don't get that at all. They, they didn't do anything. They go straight to the to the more higher gain uh, novel series, I called it, with the 9-pin preamps. And that's what Robin plays, the higher gain stuff. Vince plays the lower gain. But now with the Eagles, we've got uh, our 59 310s on one side of the stage with Stewart. Then right. we've got the Series 8 on the other side of the stage with Vince. And <laughs> and, and I'm just amazed. It's cool as hell, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it should be. Now, when, when I when I first thought of the name, when I first saw the name, I, 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 I got to forgive me. I thought, okay, well, this guy's got – he's a harmonica player. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's where it comes from. But then I, I found out about the broadcasting – and uh, I read your bio where they said that you were like uh, the the young Walter Cronkite kind of thing. Well, so where you got well it, I can't tell you the I can't tell you the unabridged version of this, but I was working at a non-union coal mine, and that was a very good place that 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 was a very rare jewel, which which paid 100% medical, optical, dental. It we re, they really went out of their way to be non-union, so they wouldn't have to. Uh, lose work the first day of uh, deer season, rabbit season, squirrel season, whatever, you know. So uh, so anyway, while there, we were having a very ugly time uh, during a, a United Mine Workers strike, and my truck was shot uh, to pieces uh, as I tried to outrun them, which I did. And uh, there's a little more of the story than what I can tell you, but anyway, I ended up being interviewed by a Lexington, Kentucky television station. And I told my story. And the next day, one of my foremen, I had, I had about eight or 10 foremen under me and we were at a foreman's meeting. And one of the guys said, Hey boss, I saw you on TV last night. And, and you look real good and real professional. I'm going to start calling you little Walter. And that was as in Walter Cronkite. Right. So, um, 40 years later, when I built my first chassis, I looked down and, and I built custom bikes and my helmet was laying there and I had airbrushed on the back of my helmet, little Walter, cause that's what everybody calls me. And that actual, that script became the little Walter logo. So, uh, but I, now I do play harp and I actually have to brag. I was invited on stage with Jack Pearson and got to do early in the morning by Elmore James with, with my hero, Jack Pearson. Wow. So, uh, so I do play a little harp, but that it, it's not the harp guy. And you'll be interested in this. Um, Walter Marion Jacobs, little Walter, mm -hmm. his daughter, Marion reached out to me five or six years ago, and she was starting a nonprofit in Chicago, I think to benefit musicians. And she called me and said, uh, Mr. Bradbury, I have you on the phone with my lawyer. And I thought, Oh no. I didn't know what was coming. And I said, um, well, I'm tied up right now. Could you send me in writing what you would like and let me look at it and I'll get right back to you. And so as soon as I received her email, it had the logo, little Walter written totally different from mine. And it was kind of leaning up on a harmonica. And it, yeah. there was no semblance of anything looking alike. And when she explained to me what she was doing, she wanted to buy or me give her the trademark. And I call, I called her back and said, Marion, you've got my total permission to the end of the world to use the name little Walter. You'll never have any problem from me. I love what you're doing. As long as you don't go into the ant building business. And she laughed and said, thank you so much. I have no interest in that. So, uh, we, we have, we we're sharing the name 
proudly with her foundation. Yeah. 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 Well, that that's that's pretty interesting that that happened yeah. like that. Wow. Yeah. Now I I noticed uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I I thought I saw one of your cabinets that had three tins in it. Is that yes. Correct? Yes, it is, and and it's one of my it's one of my favorite success stories. I I have um, as I've said before, we have a family. And a dear friend of mine that I met through uh, through him being a, an endorsee, uh, buying his aunt. He's from Ontario, and he is an amazing guitar ant geek. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he'll be embarrassed by me saying that. Um, and the closer we got, the more we got, the more he kept pushing me. You need to build a three ten cat. And I and I said, well, I don't, I don't know, man. I you know, I don't know if I'd have any luck selling them. And he kept pushing me. Finally, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you an offer. I'll draw the design up, auto-cad it in, send it over to my cabinet guy. I'll I'll design, build one, and whatever it costs me out of pocket, that's all you have to pay. And I'll I'll let you build. I, but I need to keep it for two weeks for testing. And it took me every bit of, I didn't need two weeks. It took me about 30 minutes of playing the 310 cabinet. Now, yeah. it. It's also the speakers. Mm-hmm. We we use a special, uh, uh, eminent speaker, which in my opinion is the best ten inch speaker built in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now I'm I'm not a total. I mean, not that everything eminence makes is the best speaker in the world. I ha- but I have discovered uh, about six speakers that I use of the eminence's many many speakers, and they're magical. But it, yeah. it took me a while. I had to do a, a tone quest, you might say, to find them. But uh, that is a magical speaker, and that's what Stewart will be using. Well, he has been. He was using it when we got the when the tour was shut down, the Hotel California tour. Uh, that's what Stewart's using a fifty nine three ten combo, and it's mm-hmm. built in a slightly modified fifty seven basement cabinet. So it looks like it looks like yeah. what you'd see what like what Merle Haggard played, but it's black on black. Yeah. And uh, the re- you know, and he'd asked me to repair a PV he had, and it was had circuit boards in it. It was very, very old, and I was afraid to even change a tube in it for afraid I'd break one of the the boards that were burnt from use, you know, for yeah. so long. And so I just sent him one of mine, and he fell in love with it, and that's how I got in there. But but I was working with Vince, and just happened to he just happened to come to me and say, you know, you want to, you know, would you take a look at my amp? But the 310 is magical and what's so weird about it is you can in the ohms we all we obviously we set cabinets up to be you know ohms i'm not hung up on ohms uh, it's a nominal figure it's a guiding figure more than an exact thing but uh you rig those speakers together and you expect it to be one ohm and it's totally it's 20 ohms different than yeah. that and i think it's the and 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 I'm sure there's someone out there who's going to listen to this and can tell you, but I got a feeling that it's the uneven number of speakers that it's a, you know, all speakers, usually we're playing one, two, four, right. You put, you got to know, you got this uneven mix of speakers and it does create a very strange ohm load, but, but it's a magical, magical combination. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I I agree. There's a, um, there's a, a, a speaker place that a friend of mine owns uh, right outside of Chicago. And he's got this room where he's got this big wall of all these speakers. And you can bring in your rig you yeah. know, so that you can test things out. 
And I've always, I, I don't know why, even though I, I play two rock in Foosh and, you know, and amps like that, I've mm-hmm. always loved the 410, you know, Fender stuff, you know, the Vibralux and, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. And so one day we were in there and I was talking about how much I love the, the uh, 410 and the guy goes, well, have you ever played a cabinet that had three tens in it? And I'm like, I'm like, no, not at all. And uh, so we played a combination and I was just like, I was blown away uh, how well it sounded. And so he built me a small cabinet that has three 10 inch speakers in it. And it sounds just flat out amazing. Well, you know? uh, let let me suggest you try uh, if you don't have the Eminence ten twenty eight Legends, yeah, uh, the, the thirty five watt eight ohm ten twenty eight Legend Alnico. Uh, you put three of those together. If you're not using those three in yours, and you put right. three of those in there, it would be again fifty percent again better. Uh, <laughs> and, and let me tell you a good story about it. You know, Alan Hines, do you know the name Alan I, I, Hines? Yeah, I know Alan. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I know well, Alan. Alan and I became friends. He found one of the Vince Gill twins. Uh, well, it, yeah. it, it was a twin like Vince Gill plays, which is two amps in one head out at, at LA music. And he fell in love with it. And he called me up and introduced himself. And he was shocked that I knew who he was. And I watch him on YouTube all the time. I said, Oh, I love your Ode to Billy Joe, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, one day out of the blue, I get a call and he says, Phil, you got to help me. I, I'm, I'm desperate. And I said, well, anything I can do, I'll try. And he goes, I'm in a studio. My deluxe reverb just crapped out on me. And I've got like 15 minutes to cut this session. And they rolled a brand new uh, super reverb in. And I says, and it's soulless. He said, yes, it sounds great. I mean, it's, it's a brand new amp. Everything works perfect. But I said, it's soulless. He says, yeah. yes. And I said, well... Um, um, reach down in the bottom and pull the bottom right speaker terminals off. He says, I'm serious. This doesn't need time to do. I said, no, no, I'm I, I, the only thing I can think to tell you seven States away in 15 minutes he says, try that wrap something around one of the terminals. So it won't short out while you're right in the middle of cutting the song. But I said, pull one of the speakers off. So about a week later, he calls me and says, how did you know? I said, I, I built a 310 cabinet. He goes, well, well, I've got a guy building me a 310 cabinet out here in L.A. Now, would you be opposed to mailing me your wiring diagram? <laughs> <laughs> and I sent it to him. Yeah, I, you know, uh, yeah. I stole it from Fender's Vibro King. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Alan's a, a great, great player in that. Now, the other thing, too, that I've noticed, because I've been on your website, of course, many times because... You know, I'm a gearhead. I really am. Yeah. I think I think I probably got 20 or 30 amps and around 80 guitars. I've really considered buying one of your amps in that. But one of the things that I've saw is that your pricing is, I almost want to say it, it seems like too good to be true, you know, mm-hmm. in comparison to some of the other boutique amps that are out there. Bless that, your heart. Your thank pricing you for is, saying that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. If I had the backing to put an ad in a magazine i'd probably say anyone who heard robin ford at the winery the first live show he did in a year he played my he played the little walter pb 100 yeah and uh i saw after he did that i went back to my motel that night and i got to thinking i wish more people out there realized everybody obviously 
if you go to the forums, you'll see people saying things like, man, I'd love to have a little water, but they're too expensive. And I got to look, and, and there was a used two rock for $16,900 uh, on, um, on Reverb. And that amp that Robin was playing that night that, that people were saying sounded better than his Dumble. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say that, I, but I did. Right. I have seen comments on, on post. Uh, uh, and, and don't you know that list for $3,000. And so yeah. I'm wondering where I got the reputation of being so expensive. And the, the, the 22 that Jack Pearson played, uh, that I, that's probably had a million views, uh, from one of the shows we did in Nashville, uh, uh, I sell those for, for around two bills. I mean, yeah. it, it's uh, depending on what, you know, speaker cabinet stuff you got, but, right. but I, we're not expensive and they're right. hand wired and there's no tag boards or turret boards or circuit boards. And, um, it, I'll never make any money doing it because it takes me three days to build an amp where they make 15 of them, uh, in every, <laughs> on my competitors factories a day, you know, because right. they've got people, they're using all the labor saving devices like a tag board or a turret board. Right. But that, uh, 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 if you build an amp without it, Robin first played the 59, he said, what is it? I said, well, you're hearing all six strings and you're hearing the space between them. And well, why is that? I said, well, it's just a harder way to build them, but uh, it's, it's because I don't use the stuff in there that causes things to kind of have a thick matrix about it. And, and you don't have the articulateness if you build in the hard way, you know, and, and but yeah. it's yin and yang. You want to make money yeah. or you want to sound, you know, uh, most companies want to make money. I, I'm, I'm too stupid to do that. I'm, I'm more into the sound, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> well, the as long as we pay the rent. The, the, you know, the amp speaks for itself. I mean, you've got, you know, even if you just use the names Robin Ford, Brent Mason, and Vince Gill, you've got three of the greatest players that are alive today, you know, uh, using your gear. And that, that says quite a bit, you know. And to get somebody like Robin Ford to put down his dumble, that, you know, every time I've seen Robin Ford over the, you know, last however long, you know, that's what he's had. To get them to put that down and, you know, to switch to your amp says an awful lot. And there's a lot of players around the world that are paying attention to what these guys play. And I think some of that might just be, you know, uh, when it comes to price, some of it just might be, you know, fluff. They might just, people just might think because Robin Ford plays it or Vince Gill plays it, it's, yeah. you know, it's a high dollar boutique amp in that. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, uh, anywhere from two to five thousand dollars you know in my opinion is is perfect you know for that type of yeah. amp you know well, it really it's reasonable is. i mean yeah. you know i'm a, i was a musician i let me tell you one of my saddest stories was in 1967 or eight i walked into a little tiny music store in huntington west virginia and paid 150 bucks for a 59 sunburst telecaster with cream binding yeah. <laughs> 150 bucks. Yeah. Took it back to school. Two months later, got behind on my rent, sold it for $175 and thought I was so excited. I'd made 25 bucks on that. <laughs> <deal>. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So I know, I understand most people that buy an amp have to sell something to buy one or, or buy yeah. a new guitar. They have to sell a guitar to buy one. I understand that. So I came up that way. I never had any, I didn't, I've never really had any money. And so, uh, the last thing I want to do is try to abuse a, a bunch of musicians who don't ever get paid for what they do in the first place. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, I mean, I think we all, and during the pandemic, my wife and I have cut prices to the bone for people on a one, one by one basis, uh, because we know there weren't very many, there weren't many gigs out there. The musicians weren't bringing in a lot of money. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it, it's, you know, you got to make enough for, for what, to make a living. But I think, uh, I just don't, you know, I think some people abuse people, but, yeah. but in, in the interest of the Dumble, for instance, owning a Dumble to a lot of guys, that's a collector's item. And I do, right. I mean, you know, so, so when people talk about the ridiculous price that a train wreck or a Dumble might bring, if you're looking at it as a gigging amp, I understand that might be ridiculous, but if you're a collector, Right. Uh, it's like owning a classic car. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's the same thing. And when I met Robin, I was with Vince hanging out at Carter's in Nashville. And and Robin actually had an amp question for Vince. And Vince waved me over and introduced me. And I, I was so honored to, to meet one of my heroes. And I answered his question. And it was neat. It was like one of the questions I do in my free clinics about passive knobs. You know, a lot of, you, you wouldn't believe how many people that own Fender amps think that if they turn their mid, their treble and their bass at 12 o'clock, that the, it's flat. And that if they turn it to the right, they're going to boost that signal. If they turn it to the left, they're going to uh, cut that signal. And obviously they will if they turn it to the left. But first thing I tell people, and I told Robin there in the store, I said, well, turn all your knobs all the way to the right. Hear what your amp sounds like. That's the first thing you got to do because that's what your amp sounds like. You've opened everything up. And all of your signal from your guitar is coming through that. Your life's work is coming through a quarter inch cable. And now the amp's reproducing it. And that's all the highs, all the lows, all the mids that it is receiving, whatever amp it is, you know. Yeah. And so then, then only turn back, turn off what you have to. If it's too bright, get rid of some. But remember, when you turn that knob to the left, any of those tone knobs, you're grounding out a tiny bit of your signal. That's a small signal to start with. And yeah. so when I had that discussion with Robin, he was, he was just like, <laughs> Oh wow. So, so anyway, I said, I didn't want to sound like a car sales, but I said, it would be a great honor if someday I'm down here, I could show you some of the stuff I'm doing. He said, please call me and let me do that. So that's what opened the door. And Vince told him, he said, uh, Robin, Phil makes recording amps. Uh, they're suited very well for the studio. You call any of the studios around here, they all know Little Walter, and they're so su suited for that. And Robin was going through a time, I don't think Robin would mind me saying this, uh, when he was kind of changing up, he bought. He had a nice home now in Nashville. Uh, he would rather stay closer to home, uh, not travel near so much, live in a hotel every day. He yeah. wanted to get into some producing. And, and, you know, I, I don't blame him. I feel the exact same way. I'm 67. I'm almost Robin's age. I feel the same way he does. So uh, he was looking to go more into the studio than than the huge stages. So that's where the 50 watt and the King Arthur uh, 15 watt suited him so well because they were suited to the studio. And mm -hmm. he he that's what kind of opened him up to 
caused him to try my stuff was that he was looking for, he was ready to accept smaller wattage because he was going to be in, a, in an environment where you could use a smaller wattage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's what opened the door, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I remember when he got it because he posted a video about it, which of course, you know, you have linked to your, to your website and that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was blown away. I was going to go down. I wanted to be there when he played it. Yeah. Uh, the reason he found out about the King Arthur, I was down there working with him. Uh, he was doing the Bill Evans album. I think that was the sax player for miles and he was doing an album for him and he was using the 59 and he was mentioning that at one point he thought he was getting a little hair on the tone, which he, he didn't want. And I, I had him come over and, and meet me. I was at soundcheck working with someone and, and I, I loaned him a cab and he said, no, I don't want to use two. I said, no, you can put this in the trunk of your car if you want to, but the load of this extra speaker will absorb just enough of that to where you will lose the tiny bit of hair you're hearing. And it worked. It, 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 and he always like, Oh God, thank you. That's exactly what I want. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, that's a prototype I'm experimenting with. And he said, let me see it. He plugged into it, played it for five minutes. It was about 45 degrees in, in sound check that day. And he, he, he was in a hurry and he said, I want one of those. And I said, well, I've never made one yet. And he goes, well, I'll take the first one. So the, the, I got it, I finished it and, and I knew he'd love it. And I called him and he said, I don't have an amp here. We can't leave the house. Nashville's on shutdown and, and I don't have anything to play. And I said, okay, uh, I'm shipping it tomorrow. And I just shipped it to him. And you saw uh, Kelly, his uh, lovely girlfriend, uh, filmed it and it may, it just warmed my heart. It was so natural. Because uh, you can tell it wasn't planned and the lighting's not good, and you know, but it, it, right. it was just, he was excited and it gave him something to play. And, and uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm really happy for all the success that you're having with your amps. And it sounds like you're having a ball doing it as well, you know, and yes, you know, what's cooler than being able to hang around some of the greatest guitar players that there are in the world. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than that. You know, well, I, I agree. I agree with you, but I do want to emphasize that the majority of the people that that have helped me make it, uh, there's the guys like Vince and Robin. They're the guys that help me sell because I can't afford to advertise, and I owe them my life. I owe them everything. There's nothing I would not do for any of these top names. Yeah, but it's these. It's the regular guitar player. Right. Some of them play in church. Some of them play in small clubs. Some of them play in a garage band. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, I enjoy these folks every bit as much as the big names, although yeah. the big names are what keeps me alive, obviously. Right. And I love them dearly. But but I have to say that it's like the two guys that flew down from Northern Virginia yesterday. Those were two, two new friends I made here in the music room. And every day I make a new friend. And they're names that no one knows. And they're wonderful people. And, and a lot yeah. of them will surprise you at how damn good yeah. on guitar you know yeah. so so yeah i'm extremely blessed and proud to have the big names uh to work with and and i owe them everything i owe them my success but uh but it's the it's the regular guys and gals out there that are i'm just as excited to work with you know what I mean. you know yeah. you know as well as anybody what i've talked i know exactly what you mean as a matter of fact i'm getting ready after i'm done talking to you i'm talking to a gentleman from night uh from algeria and you know he doesn't nobody knows who he is 
but he is he's an amazing player absolutely amazing player i tell you what phil it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you you're you're i really enjoyed this conversation i gotta tell you i really did and i love well, you i'm very honored yeah well <laughs> so am i to be honest i know I, I i watch your podcast i listen to your podcast i i know what you're doing and thank you so much for the next guy you're doing because you're going to give him an opportunity to have a voice and to be seen by people that he may not be able to reach and we feel that way we feel and you keep doing some good work uh i really appreciate you allowing me to be on your show all right phil take care and hopefully i get to meet you sometime soon in the near future Hey, call me when you're not on the air and let's uh let's just talk let's just talk for fun sometime well i'll do that all I'll right that. Buddy. all right take care of yourself be blessed bye-bye Bye. See, now you know what I was talking about when I said that he is just a genuinely nice guy. I mean, absolutely nice. I'm personally thankful that I've had the opportunity to meet and get to know Phil on some level. I'm looking forward to playing his uh, amps in that uh, here in the near future. And uh, I want to thank Phil so much for being on the program. You can go to uh, littlewaltertubeamps.com for information. They've also got YouTube, uh, you know, samples of their music. We're going to put some of them on our website. I'll be posting them, of course, on uh, social media for you to uh, check out. And then, of course, once uh, I have my own, you know, we'll do a demo on it and uh, we'll do a rundown on it and see, you know, how this thing holds up. But I <laughs> I just know, you know, from the character of the man that it's uh, probably quality par none, you know. And it's, it's, it's rare to run across a guy like that. So thank you, Phil, if you're listening to this. Thank you so much for participating in it, and I look forward to the opportunity to come to your your jam session. You know, at some point in time, that would be an absolute treat. So, um, okay. So, ah, uh, uh, next week. Well, yeah, what's going on next week on Guitar Talk? AJ Mills, the guitarist for KK's Priest. That's right. KK Downing has left Judas Priest, as we all know. Started his new band. It is called KK's Priest. And A.J. Mills is the guitarist. He is going to be with us next Wednesday right here on Guitar Talk. Until then, you guys have a great day. Make sure you go to Guitar Talk Official and sign up for our newsletter so that you never miss a lick. And watch out for our new store. we got a brand new store that's going to be coming out in August sometime. You'll be hearing more about it real soon. Thanks a lot for tuning in today. I will see you next Wednesday with A.J. Mills of K.K. Priest.